Hello, this is Anthony Ania. I'm a member of the firm of Ania, Scanlon, and Sirignano. We have offices in White Plains and Somers, New York. I am a certified elder law attorney, and our law firm focuses on elder law, estate planning, special needs trust, guardianship proceedings, Medicaid nursing home, and Medicaid home care. I am very honored and privileged to have today on this edition of the Talking Seniors podcast, Dr. Robert Amler. Dr. Amler is the Vice President and Dean at New York Medical College, where he co-founded the Center for Disaster Medicine, which has been focused on the COVID-19 pandemic since it broke out first in January of 2020. He has also launched their new dental school and a fully equipped laboratory wing for startup biosciences companies. The governor recently appointed him chair of the Burger Commission that recommended financial support for hospitals and nursing homes in the Mid-Hudson region. Dr. Ambler was educated at Dartmouth College, New York University, and Rutgers Medical School with postgraduate studies at Harvard Business School. He is a director of the Hudson Valley Economic Development, the, the Westchester Business Council, and the Westchester County uh, Association. Uh, Dr. Ambler is also an expert on COVID containment and has been quoted on many talk shows, radio shows, and articles. He is a prolific writer. And uh, Dr. Amler, it's really truly a privilege and honor to have you here as we're now going into a period where we're starting to hear about more COVID cases, that there is this variant of COVID and it is aggressive, it spreads rapidly but fortunately the symptoms are mild. So in talking about COVID-19, I think the first thing we should talk about is from a historical perspective, what do you see in this COVID pandemic? What, some, what struck you from a historical perspective being someone who has been working on diseases uh, such as this and SARS for, for many years? Well, Mr. Ania, thanks very much for including me. I've been looking forward to this talking to seniors. And it's a great opportunity to uh, talk a little more about COVID and what's going on currently. Uh, to answer your question, put this in a historical perspective, the world has seen terrible pandemics before, certainly. But that's nothing to be happy about. Uh, the Black Death in Europe, we all know, killed anywhere from one out of four people in Europe to three out of five people, up to 60%. Nobody knows for sure, but the Black Death, which was the plague, uh, was a horrible thing. But let's remember, no antibiotics, no antivirals, no vaccines. And what's worse, no one even knew how it spread or what was causing it. People thought there were all kinds of theories of what happened uh, with COVID in the last two years we've lost almost a million of our fellow Americans. And many people watching, I'm sure, have lost family members or have friends or relatives who have lost family members, neighbors, and so forth. Uh, so this has been a terrible blow to our population and especially to our seniors. But on the positive side, we got vaccines up and running relatively quickly we figured out what was the cause almost immediately. And that made it possible for us 
even before we had the antiviral drugs, the antibodies and the vaccines, we could already do some containment that made sense. It wasn't just avoiding black vapors or black spirits. It was a question of logically preventing people from getting exposed to the virus. And that already made a big difference even by the fall of 2020 when the vaccines just began to become online. So I think I would agree with you that we're in a much better place than any other prior pandemic. There are the antivirals out there. There are the treatments. There is the vaccine. There is the booster. Uh, Because in my world, we deal with the senior population. Uh, What do you recommend to seniors? Anybody, let's say, for example, is in relatively good health or has medical conditions over the age of 65. I know they've been using that age as a marking point. So what would you suggest to seniors in that population? Obviously, you're not giving medical advice. They should get medical advice from their own physicians. But overall, what would be your suggestions? First of all, you know, don't panic. That's the most important thing, because we do know so much more about this virus than we did two years ago. Two years ago, we were practically bare. Nobody had immunity to this thing. It was spreading rapidly from other countries, landed here in the U.S., and then spread rapidly, of course, because just about everybody was susceptible, meaning vulnerable, to the virus. Now, if you've been vaccinated, you're already in much better shape than you were before the vaccine came on. So what I would say to our senior population, for anyone who has somehow still not gotten vaccinated, get that vaccine. It doesn't hurt to get that vaccine. Get it as soon as you can and join the group of people who already have substantial protection against the virus in case they get infected, especially preventing hospitalization. Second thing, if you are vaccinated. I have to be honest with you. I was recently traveling and I was sitting in the airport chatting with somebody from Massachusetts who told me that in the last several weeks, two of his friends in their early 70s passed away from COVID, husband and wife, and they were both not vaccinated. And they had to be put on a ventilator. And I said, gee, why wouldn't they get vaccinated? And he said, well, they were obstinate. They didn't think it would affect them or hurt them. And they both passed. The son had it and the son gave it to the husband and wife. So I think the vaccination is critical. It's important, yeah. Well, I just feel so sorry for those people. Doubly sorry, first because of what happened to them. But then if something happens to you that's preventable, it's just all the more ironic. I I mean, death is tragic. You can't get any more tragic than that. But to die a preventable death is just ironic. And it's just extra sad because you could do something about it and protect yourself, but you didn't get it. And look, you know, everybody has seen these things. People die in cars, not wearing seatbelts. Uh, people die of other things. And there's no point blaming. It's simply the fact that it didn't happen. And, you know, that's just a tragedy. So, um, you know, as a physician, my job is to preserve health, 
keep people protected and treat them any way that I can, no matter how they got infected in the first place. I lost an old next door neighbor of mine from when I lived in Atlanta. Uh, he was about my age and I'm told that he would not get vaccinated. He caught the virus and he died. And you know, it's just so sad when that happens. So certainly if you're not vaccinated, it's not too late. It's not too late, you're still alive, get the vaccine. No one's gonna point fingers, just get it done. You don't even have to tell your other obstinate friends if you don't want to, just do it. Just do it and be protected. Next thing, if you are vaccinated, but you haven't had a chance to get a booster, if it's been at least uh, two to four months, it depends on the vaccine, you can look it up. If it's been at least a few months since you got the primary series, which in most cases is two doses of the Moderna or Pfizer, or one dose of the Janssen, uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine, get the booster. The booster works, it's effective. It's not any more of a problem than the original vaccine. Get the booster. That will increase your immunity and protect you fully. And then finally, if you've been vaccinated and boosted, many people got their booster last fall, say October, November, maybe December, it's probably almost time for that second booster. And if you're ready to do that, go ahead and get it. It's now approved. And again, it's essentially the same vaccine, slightly different dose for some people, but get your booster. It's been shown most recently, uh, two different Israeli studies, that were done in closed populations, people 60 and over, just exclusively 60 and over, who were followed up very carefully afterwards. And they found that people who got the second booster were 78% less likely to die of COVID if they got COVID than people who had the first booster. So there's additional protection with that second booster. In addition, uh, people who got the second booster were four times less likely to get hospitalized with COVID, meaning if they did get COVID, even after the two boosters, it was in almost all cases a much milder. And with the new variant that's out there, we know it's more transmissible, but is it more serious? Does it cause more serious disease than the earlier variants. So far, it looks like probably not, but why take a chance? Protect yourself and give yourself the full measure of protection that's available with technology. Where do you see COVID being right now in terms of the United States and the world? We know that there are lockdowns in China. Um, for example, I just saw former CDC director Robert Redfield, I think is his name, yeah. And he, he was on television this morning and he talked about that he sees a possible COVID surge, not now, but in the fall. Is that something that you anticipate? Well, one of the reasons I'm good at what I do, they say, is that I don't make predictions and I don't speculate. Right. Uh, but we do know from what we know about the virus that there are three different directions it could take next. There could be more because this virus has been full of surprises and we could be overtaken by something different. Hopefully not. Three different directions. We could get a surge of a new variant or the existing variant 
that could become more invasive, meaning it becomes more dangerous. And so we could see a peak of this thing getting worse again in the fall. In the fall, because people tend to cluster indoors more, and we know that with school coming back together in the fall, again, there's more opportunity for viruses to spread. And that's an age old problem. After all, you don't see much of a flu season in the summer, do you? And you don't see colds as much during the summer. So we know respiratory viruses. That's a possibility. I don't see any indication that says that's definitely going to happen. It's just a matter of will it or won't. The second possibility is wonderfully, this thing just kind of fades away the way some viruses do. Um, we don't see much of some other viruses that used to be more prevalent. Once we had vaccines against them, uh, measles dropped off very radically when we had vaccines. And now we typically only see measles in groups of people who don't want to get vaccinated. Uh, the same is true for polio. There's virtually no polio anywhere in the world. Only a few countries still have any polio. And of course, the vaccine is very, very effective. So we may see the coronavirus, COVID virus, just fade away and not come back. Wouldn't that be lovely? But of course, we don't know. That's why if you can boost, do it. The third possibility is that it doesn't really go away, but just like flu, it kind of remains in the population. It circulates. It does occasionally cause hospitalization and it does cause death in some people, but we control it. We don't eliminate it, but we control it with regular vaccines and boosters, much the way we do flu. That's the third possibility, but I'm not going to speculate on which of those is most likely. So, obviously, vac being vaccinated is key, being boosted is key. If you've had COVID, though, is it necessary to have the booster? If you had is. tested positive for COVID. Yeah, again, you have, I, this, you have natural I, immunity at that point. I don't believe in commanding people to do this or do that. I just, it's just not my style. What I encourage is pe to people is look at the risks, look at the benefit. The risk is so small. It's true. I got a booster and I had chills all night that night. The next morning, I felt kind of hungover. By the end of that next day, I was fine. That doesn't mean you'll be fine. It doesn't mean you'll have chills. But we know the vaccine does have side effects, but they're, for the most part, short-lived and not really consequential in the long run. So the risks are really, really small. The benefit could be huge. None of us wants to end up on a ventilator. None of us wants to be incapacitated that way. Right. Particularly in the older age groups, it's been very difficult to predict which of us in the senior age groups will be the ones who take a turn for the worse. And you just don't want to be one of those people. Remember too, I agree. I agree that young people, and we want to get back together with the younger members of our family and friends. Younger people are circulating. They are exchanging the virus. They're transmitting it back and forth. We know this. And we know that if you interact with the rest of the human race, you are going to get some exposure to the virus. 
Yeah. And the I, whole I, point I, of the game is to prevent that exposure. I, I agree with you. I think the risk of exposure is going to be there no matter where you are. And then the question is, based on your own beliefs, your own medical history, your own diagnosis and you know discussions with your doctor and physicians, that you have to make the decision about being boosted, even if you've had COVID. So I've had COVID twice, and I got COVID actually after my boat booster, within mm -hmm. weeks of my booster. So, so it happens. That all, yep, that all can happen. Yeah. Uh, there is certainly additional immunity that you get from having gotten the infection, but the amount of immunity and the lasting time of that immunity are not well understood in part because many people who've gotten COVID have not been confirmed as having it. So it's hard to differentiate statistically between people who had the virus and people who might just think they had the virus or they had something similar, like the flu or a cold, exactly. or something, strep throat, you know, something else. So uh, that information is still to be forthcoming. One thing I'll say about vi the virus itself is when it first hit, there was not a single page in a single textbook or a single guidebook on control of infectious disease that had anything on this virus. It was a brand new player a brand new player. Now that page is beginning to get written. So we understand more about the incubation period, how it spreads. Remember in the beginning, we said you don't need a mask because it's only spread right. if you're right in somebody's face. If they don't cough on you, you're not going to get it. Well, that was wrong. We didn't know. We thought that was wrong. But once it became apparent within really just several weeks that it was spreading more widely in the air, then masks got recommended. Well, masks are gonna show up on that page in the textbook. And as we move forward, that page is gonna get filled with more and more information on exactly how much immunity you get from being infected, how much you get from the booster and the second booster and so on. In the meantime, the best thing you can do, the best defense is good offense. Right. Which means get out there, be proactive, get those boosters when they're recommended, do everything you can to still protect yourself against it. Thank you. Uh, one, one final question. So with respect to infants, what do we know so far about COVID? Because, you know, one of the things I hear sometimes when I speak to grandparents, like I'm a grandparent, and they say, oh, I haven't seen my granddaughter She's a baby, and I haven't gone to visit her because I'm worried about COVID. What's known about that interaction of individuals with children, especially small children? I have a 14-month-old granddaughter. It seems that every time that she goes to daycare, which is only two days a week, she comes back with something. I mean, you know, she's always got a runny nose. She's always got some cough, et cetera. Yeah, Do we so know a lot? We know a lot about transmission of viruses in that age group. And the answer is it's huge. There's a lot of transmission. Fortunately, children in childcare, daycare, preschool, and so forth, it has been shown that although they do get more colds and minor respiratory infections, they do not get more ear infections or pneumonia or serious infections. 
though basically childcare gets a qualified bill of health, meaning that you're not causing, you know, irreparable harm to your child by putting them in those environments. So that's important for grandparents to understand. Daycare, preschool is not intrinsically bad fortune because so many young couples depend on it. Uh, but it is true that they exchange viruses almost constantly. And if you look at your 14 month old, if you look at your two and a half year old or three year old and just watch what they do when they're playing with their friend, you'll see that they're exchanging facial body fluid uh, frequently with their friends. You know, they lick their toys and then they, they share them and, and so forth. And, you know, they love to, you know, play on the floor and lick things and put things in their mouth. You know, yeah. if we saw an adult family member doing that, you know, we would seek seriously help for that person, right? So, but this is what little ones do. And, you know, it's almost like it's their job to do that. You don't want to stop them from right. exploring and exchanging and, you know, doing what they do. It's part of growing up. My, my granddaughter, my granddaughter loves while she's eating to feed the dog. And then she'll feed the dog and then put the same food back in her mouth. You know, she'll use the same hand. It's amazing. I'm constantly wiping her hands. It's just the funniest thing. And I have a close relative who had a young toddler. This is years ago. It was not me. Young toddler. And uh, he got awfully quiet. And, you know, when your toddler gets quiet, you, you, you just, as a parent, you go, what is he up to now? Right. And she went around the corner and he and the dog happy as clams, they were side by side on their hands and knees on all fours, eating from the dog dish together <laughs> with their mouth like that. <laughs> I won't reveal who that was uh, because he, this, this toddler is now an adult and a prominent member of our Hudson Valley community. <laughs> I, I will not reveal. And he doesn't do that anymore. Thank God. I hope not. I hope yeah, not. That's right. I hope not. Yeah. So the real question is, so what do you do as a grandparent? So uh, again, first of all, let's be practical. Let's be reasonable. The name of the game is to block exposure to a virus. Because if there's no exposure, there can be no infection. Right. And without infection, there can be no added risk to you. So you want to protect yourself. So wearing a mask, trying to keep a reasonable distance within reason, and particularly if a child has a runny nose and is coughing or sneezing uh, or has been doing that in a room, uh, it's best to stay out of that room and maybe work with them outdoors where there's a lot of fresh air flowing around. Yeah. Fortunately, the let weather's getting warmer. We can spend more time outdoors and do things together, but maybe not as close. And maybe, again, in a well-ventilated area where there's a good breeze going by. And the other thing is don't beat yourself up about it. Do the best you can to minimize exposure and rest on the fact that you are vaccinated, you are boosted, and you're also vigilant, meaning if you do start to get symptoms, you're not going to show up at a family reunion. No. If the child has symptoms, you're going to say, let's try next week instead. And um, if you do have symptoms yourself, you're going to go get tested and get checked out. Because 
particularly for the senior population, you don't just sit there infected. If necessary, depending on your conversation with your own healthcare provider, you might need monoclonal antibodies or you might need antiviral drugs, but work that out with your doctor, depending on your medical history, see if that's something that's necessary. As Dean of the, uh, of the Medical College, what do you see in terms of the medical uh, community's reaction to COVID and where is it going to be in the future? Obviously, this horrible experience has taken a toll on the medical community, the caregivers, the providers. You know, I just read recently that it's as if some of these hospital caregivers, doctors have post-traumatic stress syndrome because of what they've gone through with the numbers of people. But how do you see this changing the medicine in Westchester, New York in particular? Sure, you know, I'll speak on behalf of my friends in the field uh, because as a dean and the other work that I do, I see patients one day a week. For my colleagues who've been seeing patients five or seven days a week, honestly, they are exhausted. You can imagine, many of them are not in the youngest age group and it's just exhausting. And we've lost our patients too. And we grieve for them. We don't grieve in front of their families, but we feel it when we lose them. It's, it's very disconcerting to see that. And as I said, especially someone two years ago who didn't even have a chance to get vaccinated. So uh, for the medical profession, for the nursing, for the respiratory technicians, for the other hospital staff and even hospital administrators, healthcare plans, insurance people, everybody up and down the healthcare field. It's been very exhausting. And nobody's gotten a day off. Nobody's gotten a chance to just quit for a while and then come back. And so it has been very, very difficult. And most of my friends and colleagues have suffered financially as well. Just like your local businesses that had to shut down, um, you know, the elective surgeries, the elective procedures, cancer screenings, uh, and all of that, that also had to fall by the wayside in order to minimize face-to-face -face encounters, particularly in the first year. And I'm also concerned about many patients whose cancers progressed because they could not get screened on time or they couldn't get the right follow-up on time. And so there will be secondary echo type effects from this horrible pandemic. And uh, again, now everybody's working extra time to make up those visits and get those screenings. So for those in the, uh, who are watching this, who maybe had been thinking that they need to get something checked out, but they were putting it off, you know, I would just say, look, probably nothing, but better to get something checked out especially if you've been sitting on it for a year or two and not finding out what's going on. Get it checked out. You'll feel so much better. And if it turns out to be nothing, you know, you wasted a copay, but just do it. <laughs> well, doctor, thank you very much. It's been very informative and enlightening to have you on the, the, pro the podcast today, Talking Seniors. And we talked about seniors a lot. We talked about children, but more importantly, uh, we talked about, you know, the potential 
of, of issues regarding COVID and what people should be doing. And I think the advice that you have given today is solid. Thank you for your time and help with this today. Thank you. Thanks for including me. And I wish everyone stay healthy, be well, keep checking these podcasts. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. You bet.